have you prayed about that? Hmm. And that was so profound because wow. I, I, I felt like a fool. Like, right. well, n- no, I haven't. What, why have I not talked to the Lord about that? And that was a benchmark. That was a clear marker for me and a turning point where I began to say, Lord, please help me read. When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. All right, welcome to the Take and Read podcast. I am so excited to introduce you to my good friend, Kurt Prater. Say hi to the folks. Howdy. So Kurt Prater is uh, a fellow pastor on my team here at First Baptist Georgetown. Uh, He and I have actually gotten to serve in a variety of ministry contexts over the years. And uh, do you remember when we first met? Oh, yes. Beautiful Colorado. Yes. Beautiful Colorado. I have to stay focused, though. Yeah. I'll get distracted by that image. Uh, yeah, I'm right there with but, you. But uh, yeah, I was getting to teach at a retreat, and Kurt uh, was was brought on to lead worship. And so one of the things that's cool about Kurt is he is a pastor, but he gets to utilize uh, the musical components of worship and through which he can disciple and shepherd our church family. And so I love that gifting. I love his heart. And you get to experience his heart here as we go and take and read the scriptures today. Uh, On this podcast, um, one of the things that I like to do with a first-time guest is we get into a little bit of your story and your encounter with the Word. So I'd love to hear kind of your first encounters with the scriptures, with the Bible, uh, your earliest encounters, what that was like, and then maybe how that's changed over the years. Growing up, thankfully, had an opportunity to spend some time in the church. And so it started off with just the simple Bible stories. Mom and dad even helping out in the kids' department using a uh, ventriloquist doll dog to teach us the the stories of the Bible. So it was a ventriloquist oh, dog. No, no, no. Like, I, I think I used the wrong. I mean, they were enacting through this. Um, they weren't casting puppet. their voice into this puppet to where it looked like they weren't talking, but the puppet was. No, they are actually behind a screen. So, so that's they're not puppeteers. Re- yeah. Okay. Thank you for that correction. Okay. So, so they were puppeteers. If there are ventriloquist uh, artists out there, we meant puppeteers, and we don't we be think missed yeah. It. Oh, okay. Uh, so puppeteers. Puppeteers. Perfect. I love teaching it. us the word, and nice. then it blossomed over time to where I was able to do some Bible studies. So studying God's word through a little devotional. Okay. And then I'd say I'm going to I'm going to fast forward all the way past college. Incredible spiritual mentors teaching me the word, what it meant to study the word. A dear friend who was a mentor in college teach me how to enjoy God's word, read it and dissect the words and be intentional with prayer and just time in his word to to then expound, oh, hey, what is God saying? So prior to that experience in college, though, your intake of the Bible was limited to Sunday morning? Like a ser- like a like in a sermon context or Sunday school, and then whatever your parents might 
But you weren't re- you weren't like, hey, I can read this for myself. I was not diligently reading God's word as as an active p- aspect of a role part of my faith. Well, and the reason why yeah. I ask yeah. is I think that that's pretty consistent. I think a lot of a lot of people that follow Christ, there is a season of their life where they don't see reading the scriptures on their own as something that they can do or maybe ought to do mm-hmm. or that that's normative or, or would understand how to even begin doing that. And so I think it's refreshing and helpful just to hear people's journey, how that transition happened. Oh yes. Do you remember the kind of just the, how you wrestled through that arriving at college, not having that as a rhythm and then encountering somebody that did and how that played out yeah clear as day i mean i i had the desire to read god's word i knew its value um and it burdened me that i did not find a regular routine a rhythm in my life Mm -hmm. of reading god's word in fact all the way until i I mean i was then called past call post-college to be a worship pastor in our first church and i confessed my desire to be in God's word, but my lack of being in God's word as a pastor to a dear friend who asked a simple question. Have you prayed about that? Hmm. And that was so profound because I, wow. I, I, I felt like a fool. Like, right. Well, n- no, I haven't. What, why have I not talked to the Lord about that? And that was a benchmark. That was a clear marker for me and a turning point where I began to say, Lord, please help me read. Hmm. Please establish a rhythm in my life to where this is just something I do because I I knew its value. Mm -hmm. I knew that I wanted it and I needed it, but I just had not really grown in that discipline. And so it took a while of just regular reading and not trying to set these outlandish um, goals to achieve that I would, you know, Mm -hmm. break and then feel shameful. Um, But just spending some diligent, some intentional time, little chunks. Yeah. And what was beautiful is the Lord helped me Mm -hmm. uh, after praying and uh, uh, being disciplined and to where it has, it is, much more a part of who I am and what I do yeah. on the daily, weekly basis. I'm glad. I mean, I can relate to that. I, I arrived at college and I knew I should read the Bible more because I, I had heard of other Christians doing that. I didn't go to a, like a Bible college or a Christian university for undergraduate. Um, just went to a state school. and But I, I was around other Christians in ministry that, Man, they seemed to, this was like a thing they did, uh, regular. And they had lingo like, man, my morning Devo or in my quiet <laughs> yeah. time. And um, and so, and I was like, what are they talking about? <laughs> yeah. And I remember yeah. specifically asking the Lord for help. Mm. And I, I would say that if you're listening uh, right now and, and that's where you're at, that's the good, that's a good first step uh, is saying to the Lord, I don't desire this, and I mm. want to. I want a desire to read your word. I know it's probably something that's good for me, and I just don't want to, or I just don't think about it. It's not It's not something where I have experienced the joy that I've heard others talk about. First step, just talk to him. Mm-hmm. Ask him for that yes. desire. 
Yeah. Uh, I can I can relate. I I was in my freshman dorm room. I'd heard people talking about the Bible and I wanted more of the Lord. I was I my roommate had gone home for the weekend and so I was alone in my dorm room and I remember laying there like verbally audibly asking God to show me more of himself. I wanted more of him and I was unsatisfied with how much I knew him. Hmm. And I remember crying out the next day I wake up and I've got this just unsatiable appetite for God's word. And I I go and I find a Bible and I just start reading in the new Testament. I remember I read Mm -hmm. Ephesians and then I read Philippians and I kept reading, reading these smaller, shorter letters in the new Testament. And it was like, I was like, why didn't anyone tell me these were here? And they were incredible. And so I appreciate your story. I appreciate that encounter. So what I would love to know next is as that's developed, what kind of rhythms exist now in your time around the Word? What does it look like for you to be in the Word maybe uh, in a week? Is mm. it a daily activity? What's a regular cadence? And then when you do engage it, what does that time look like? It has the morning time. I'm a morning person and I enjoy the time and God's word in the morning. I've, I've found it to be uh, the time that I can focus best throughout my day. So starting off bright and early and spending just about 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, depending on what I'm reading. You and I actually talked about a, a little bit of a reading plan this this past year of spending time in seven chapters for an entire month. So I've started um, and now am in, in John. But uh, previously I found the chronological Bible to be mm-hmm. incredibly helpful for me. I love seeing sequentially how the Bible is just mapped out. And so that has been an incredible resource. So reading God's word, I tried to do a little bit of journaling along the road, um, but that has not been something that I've stuck with to write down oh, observations, things that really stand out. I'm doing some highlighting in my in my phone Bible app um, as I'm reading these seven chapters. Do you read month. from your phone? I do. Yeah. So you're there with your phone. Yep. And you got the Bible there, right on. And you're just highlighting with your thumb. Yeah, something okay. stands out. There's a word. There's a phrase. Um, but man, I've I've really enjoyed that approach, um, that repetition, and seeing the scripture come alive after thirty, thirty-one days. Wow. So now, I can only imagine myself if I'm posting up on the on the Bible app on my phone, the temptation. To just kind of float over other apps, check that email really quick. Maybe a text pops up. Do you do you fight with that? If so, how do you navigate the distractions? Because I, I find that would be because in my my beautiful paper Bible, uh-huh. I never have like a a notification come across the page. It's just me and the word. So tell me about that. Oh man, that's a good call. Okay, so I probably before I open up the Bible app, I bust out a little weather app. I check a little email and then I get into the Bible. Okay. So at that early in the morning, there's not a ton going on. Um, so that's helpful. I, I can't say that I'm distracted by the apps at that point. At that point, I'm probably just fighting staying awake. So yeah. So, how early are we talking? I, I, we're, you know, five, five thirty. Five or five thirty. Not too shabby. I'm, you're right. an early I, riser. I am. I am. But I wasn't always. 
But I, yeah, I found that it would it would have to be that early that I get up, yeah, in order to get the time I needed, undistracted, yeah, right? yeah, no yep. interactions with other people at that time. Um, so yeah, if you're an early riser, I would love to hear some comments from you. Uh, I would love as you uh, tune into this podcast, I'd love to get from those that in, engage with it. When do you get, you know, what's, mm. what does your cadence look like in, in the scriptures? Uh, do you have a daily time in the word and what time is that? So please leave that in the comment. If that's something that you would love to share with us, I'd love to hear it. Um, okay. So you talk about, um, early in the morning, five, five thirty. uh, is it always a roughly the same amount of time? Like, is it 30 minutes? Is it an hour? Does it consist of reading the Bible, taking notes? Is there a journal present? as well that you're engaging with is there a time of prayer that's involved there mm. do you begin with prayer do you like, how does all that work i i would say I'm, it fluctuates i mean right now i'm just I, even several years into reading the bible um i am finding myself just telling myself hey i need this time in the word mm. so i will float between hey trying to take some notes um i will insert some prayers as the spirit leads, I mean, there are times when the Lord wakes me up and I'm, I'm enjoying his word and then it prompts a prayer. So I'm engaging in prayer as it comes. I don't have a regimen or a schedule other than getting up and getting in, in God's word, the journaling component that actually is found. I've found a little bit more success at night. So as I'm, as I'm laying down, um, I will journal some things and that's not necessarily up um, from that scripture that day. It could be just recapping what God has done mm -hmm. throughout the last several days um, to document the spiritual journey yeah. and just what he's done. So that, that has found some success at night for me. Okay. So the morning routine is primarily around the Bible app. And this is every day. Minus Sundays, Sundays, uh, no go for me. And I'll probably Saturdays, Saturdays and Sundays. I don't okay. crack the Bible app as consistent as a Monday through Friday. Yeah. 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 And Sunday, your cadence is different just because there's some demands on you in terms no. of getting, getting a team ready and leading our church family in corporate worship. So, yeah. All righty. Well, uh, Kurt, the real reason why I had you come here today is because I would like to take and read mm. the Bible with you. Yeah. And uh, we are on a journey through the Gospel of Mark, and you you, you don't know where we're going. I, I'm so nervous. So this I'm is really fresh. nervous, actually. <laughs> I, I'm open to the book of Mark, but I don't know where we're going. And I think the nervousness is probably good. It means you're kind of, you're, you're engaged, you're ready, and you're saying, Lord, Help me. Oh, amen. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Okay. Well, we're going to be in chapter one of Mark. Okay. Uh, and we're going to pick up uh, at this scene in verse 21. Uh, we are going to pick up as he has just called his disciples in the last section. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 21. And this section of scripture is going to take us through verse 28. There's a fancy kind of theological term that's used, and that is pericope. Mm. 
uh, I had somebody uh, ask me a question because that was used by a previous guest nice. as to what a pericope is, and it's just a it's a a fancy or kind of a a technical term about a specific section of scripture. And so when we have our our nice English translations of the Bible, there's you know s- subject headings and in sections, and there's chapter and verse, and so usually those are de- you know. uh, divided up by pericopes or sections of scripture and so we're going to be looking at this particular section or pericope in mark chapter 1 verses 21 through 28 so i'm going to go ahead and read for us right now we are in the new english translation the net bible and so like i've done in the past we jump into different translations um do you have a like a regular translation that you're in I've enjoyed the New American Standard over time. Yeah, um, we have access a little bit more to the Christian Standard. Yeah, so I'm probably going between those yeah, the most right now. Okay, so this will be fun. This is a, yeah. a newer translation for you, right? And uh, yeah, uh, the what I love about this translation before we jump in, and for those that are tuning into the podcast, it is a the kind of story behind the translation is that it was a open source translation, so it was available online. The NET Bible, and you can still get it online for free. And one of the neat things about it, it it included all of the footnotes, thousands and thousands of footnotes, as Bible translators and scholars contributed to the translation from the original languages, so uh, the Greek, the Hebrew, and some Aramaic. As they translated, you could see their notes as to why they selected the words that they did. Mm. And so it what it has produced is not only a, a very readable translation, but you can go online and you can access all of those notes. Uh, so as you study the text, you can get a little bit more detail from people that have dedicated their whole life's work to studying maybe just that word. Mm. And so it's, it's pretty powerful. All right, so we are in chapter 21. Mark 1, 21. Then they went to Capernaum. So this is Jesus and his disciples that he's recently called. And that is up in the northern region of Galilee. When the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people there were amazed by his teaching because he taught them like one who had authority, not like the experts in the law. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, Leave us alone, Jesus the Nazarene. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him. Silence, come out of him. After throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed, so that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He even commands the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So the news about him spread quickly throughout all the region around Galilee. And you said we've got two hours that. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, this <laughs> exactly. is going to be awesome. Yeah. So a lot going on. And, and the kind of the structure of how I want us to, to approach this text. First of all, I want us to notice okay, what does this say? Hmm. So we're looking at words, we're looking at kind of maybe the, around the scene what's happening. Uh, what's going on in a dialogue, maybe responses, you know, are there kind of interesting kind of churchy Christian words? 
So what does it say? Do we have clarity on what it says? And then we're going to move into what does it mean? If this is what it says, then what do we understand is meant here? And then we're going to move into a kind of a, okay, so what? What do we then do about it if we're truly believing this to be the Word of God, an account of Jesus Christ that happened historically and is true? What does it mean for us and how do you and I as husbands, fathers, brothers, sons, how do we live according to this Mm. truth? So that's where we're at. So as we first look at it, uh, identify, like, are there certain words here or is there a a part of the scene that you think, man, that needs some explaining? Well, I think that the time and the place is pretty critical. Okay. So we have this event, this pericope, and it's on the Sabbath. Yeah. Which is instrumental, is is critical in in the life of the Jew. And he's in a place where they would they would find themselves regu- regularly on the Sabbath to receive some teaching in mm-hmm. the synagogue. So I think that that is helpful and will help frame even what we're going to experience in the event that takes place with Jesus. And yeah, so you you reference the timing of the Sabbath. So yeah. in the life of the Jew, that's a time of worship and rest. Yes, it's a time set aside mm-hmm. that, that God had instituted for there to be a time where they're able to worship him and rest in him in his provision. Yes. And the Jews had taken that, as we'll see throughout the accounts of the Gospels of Jesus' ministry, he encounters things and does things on this particular day that confronts and confounds the religious authorities because they have drawn some things around the Sabbath that maybe weren't meant to be true of the Sabbath. And they've made some restrictions and rules that got outside of the realm of what he meant. So kind mm-hmm. of, yeah, what, what comes to mind when you hear some of that stuff? Or maybe what might this cause for them as far as maybe butting up against some things that they thought about the Sabbath that he's trying to reveal? Oh, I think the key component being that rest component. And what Jesus is about to do is wreck their mindset and cause them to doubt his actions, his motivations, why Jesus is performing the action of casting out a demon. Yeah. So that's clutch. Yeah. Um, And so I think it's also interesting that this, this exorcism, right, where he is casting out a demon is happening in a religious institution. Yes. This is a house mm. of worship. Mm. And there is somebody there that is possessed by a demon. Mm. And this is happening in what we would kind of identify, like if someone rolled up in our church right now, where we gather for worship in our house of worship, and there, that would be, we'd be like, what? Why is this happening here? Like that mm. happens out there, not here. And so I think that's mm. interesting that there that this is the scene is is such that it's happening there. Right on. Um it's something else to note about Capernaum itself. This will kind of become a base of operation for Jesus. And so this nice. is kind of they the there was thought that this might be where uh Peter and Andrew's kind of stomping grounds on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. And so there, there's going to be quite a bit of activity that happens here and early miracles that happen here. And so 
Uh, it's interesting that this is where this is kind of taking place. Um, yeah, so, okay. And, and what's going on? Jesus is strolling up, and the people are amazed. Right. There is, there is something that catches them and is attractive, so much so it's in contrast to what they normally experience. Yes. It, and it's, at first, it note, you notice it has to do, he hasn't cast out the demon yet. Right. That hasn't even taken place. It's just his teaching. Just his teaching. And some translations will say uh, religious or like the experts in the law. Others mm. will say the scribes. And so uh, that the way that that's translated as scribes. And so to understand their normal practice would have been a scribe or an expert in the law taking some of the Torah, which is uh, the the Old Testament law, Mm. and would have translated it and then quoted other rabbinical teaching around that. So they're not teaching from themselves they're kind of placeholders. They're they're translating the scriptures and then they're quoting other people's teaching and trying to explain the scriptures. But they identify there's something about the way, the way Jesus teaches that's different. And authoritative. Yeah. At least this. this so version. it must be that it comes like he's not teaching someone else's word, hmm. but he's teaching his own. Like he the teaching comes from him like he's the source. For the scribes, other things are the source, whether it's the Torah itself or other people's teaching around the Torah. But Jesus is the source Hmm. of the teaching. And it it reminds me, uh, in an earlier episode, we would have talked about the way that he preached the gospel. It says in verse 14, if you were to jump up a little bit uh, above that, after John was in prison, Jesus went into Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of God. Or it says his teaching consisted of the gospel of God. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so he's coming in and some of his teaching was likely around the kingdom of God, which is talking about authority, Mm. God's realm and reign, and that now Jesus is the one that has that authority. And so, yeah, I think that's pretty powerful. All right. Anything else that you see here uh, related to this before? Because it all—it's inevitable. It leaches into what this means. Sure. Yeah. Before it's time, but anything yeah, else yeah, that yeah. you observe as far as what it says? Yes. So w- when they have this in- encounter with an unclean spirit, this unclean spirit is, d- is making a proclamation, and who is in their presence? Right. Jesus, the Nazarene. Holy one of God. Have you come to destroy us? They know whose presence they are in and the consequence of being in the holy one of God. Amen. Cast us out. So, yeah, I, I think that's, um, again, it's not demonstrating his authority in teaching right there, but demonstrating his authority in just being in his presence. Amen. Amen. And so, uh, yeah, rather than contend with Jesus, this demon is submitting. He yes. recognizes a great the authority word. and he's asking, you know, please don't, you know, have you come to destroy us? You're the Holy one. Like what's going on? Clearly he has the power to destroy them. Right. And they're aware of that. And so now they're afraid and they want to know what's going down. Mm. He rebukes them 
right? He says, silence, yeah. come out of them. So he <laughs> immediately exercises authority by telling them to zip it. <laughs> and after throwing him into the convulsions, so they, they, they go, but unwill, you know, they, they're not yeah. excited about Can, that. And we, I, I want to pause on that for just a moment because this gives us some insight into what is taking place in one of God's creatures in, in the demon possession. Yes. And that demon is enacting kind of his last action on this individual before making the exit. Yeah. Which is really, is, is really unique. Uh, it's fascinating to me. Have you ever, I mean, if I'm listening to this podcast, I want to know, have Chad and Kurt encountered mm. any kind of demonic activity, any kind of demon possession? Is that something you've ever encountered? So, as I mentioned earlier, my time in God's Word this last year has been in in the Gospels. And I have been reading the, the demonic possession and just flashback to times in ministry. And there have been some specific circumstances where I have had interactions with an individual who is clearly not in their right mind. Hmm. And their actions, even their countenance, reflect something that is and seems uh, uh, what I would say is demonic, but I, I don't know. Right. And I don't know if that is because they're under a, the possession of a substance or if like a mm. drug yeah. or, yeah. Um, or if it has been um, the, the demon, a, a demon. But I have seen some things that have just made me go, God, what, what have I experienced? And what, what did Jesus experience? What did the disciples experience? What did this look like in the gospel? So I don't have a definitive answer. It's something that I am in processing now because I do believe in spiritual warfare. I believe in evil, but I, and I believe in the supernatural power of the Lord in times like what we read in, in Mark one. Yeah. But what about, what about I for mean, you? I, I would say, First of all, that what you've just how you've summarized that is is very good that that we we live in a reality that whether we acknowledge it or not, there is a supernatural realm. Hmm. There is a a war, absolutely. And I think that in the you know the West, uh, the American West, and maybe even in the European West, I think that there's a a minimization of the supernatural. Uh, ever since the Enlightenment era, there has been this kind of um, move towards minimizing the supernatural and maximizing the natural or the material world. And I think that the enemy would, would love for that to continue, for us to pretend like that's not going on mm. and that that he's able to then move in the background and subtly. And so I think that it's far more present than we give credit to. But then I also don't think that this verse or any others tell us to go be demon hunters and go find Agreed. the warfare Agreed. and find the, the demons, but we have to be sober to the reality that it's there. And mm. that, that, but that's not what this passage is about. And right. so right. as much as it would, you know, we could, it's sensational, it's, it's kind of exhilarating to talk about. And, yeah. But what Mark is doing here in his gospel is he's making the case that Jesus is the Christ. Amen. That he's the son of God. And in this text, even the demons admit that. 
Yes. And that as he encountered, we believe this to be a historical event that actually happened. Mm -hmm. And as he uh, was in the synagogue that day preaching and teaching with his own authority, his authority was then recognized by the demonic and by the, the demon possessing that individual. And he, he exercised his authority over that demon. And it was not only recognized by the demon, but by all those that were present. First they yeah. saw his teaching and then they saw the action following that, that it matched up mm-hmm. that he taught as one who had authority and then he actually exercised that authority yeah. over the demonic. And say, what is what are we witnessing here? What are we hearing and what are we yes. seeing? What is going on? I don't recognize this. Yeah. What is this? A new teaching? Yeah. With authority, he even commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. Mm. Uh, it's interesting that he tells them to to be quiet. Um, th- we'll see this as as we kind of progress in Mark, but there are times where people recognize who he is, and then there's this kind of him telling them to be quiet about it. <laughs> and usually, like here, you have the demons obey, yeah. and it's like okay, they. They do what they're told, but usually the people that are told don't necessarily follow suit (laughs) and they go out and they express what's happened. This transformation, this, this new life, this, this release, this freedom, Mm. and they can't, they can't be quiet about it. And so, uh, even though he tells the demon, um, silence come out of him after this demon has identified him to be the Holy one of God. He's not totally silent. It says that there's this convulsion that happens. There's this loud voice. I mean, that's, I think when we read it, it's very kind of vanilla, but that had to have been a scene. That had to have been something crazy, like convulsing and this loud kind of roaring cry. Like, I don't even want to imitate it here, but it seems like it'd be intense. Yeah. So, um, all right, so anything else that we need to notice about this, or do we do we get into what this might mean? I say in verse 28, the news spreads. And I, the first question that kind of comes to mind is, I wonder what they're saying. Like, what does that message sound like? We, we know that they're amazed, that we know they just witness an extraordinary event. And they are going and telling people. So what, what does that sound like? What is that message? Um, you know, I would imagine yeah. it was, you will not believe that someone strolled up into the synagogue <laughs> and blew the religious leaders, yeah, blew their minds on the Sabbath, healing, casting out a demon. Yeah. And that's so. going to become, yeah, it's going to become a big deal. There's mm. going to be, he's going to continue to do things intentionally on the Sabbath mm. that are going to reveal the misunderstanding of the religious leaders or their mishandling of the Sabbath. Uh, maybe the oppression that they've placed on people through the Sabbath and the rules that they've made up. Uh, but he's coming to exercise the authority of this kingdom of God that is at hand. Yes. And that is the good news, the gospel. Uh, yeah. So, in that, so if, if you were to stand back and say, okay, the major takeaway from this incident is what? Mm. 
the first word that comes to mind is the authority component. Yeah. Because the people had a human leader, leaders, plural, and Jesus is stepping into their life and making a profound statement with what we see here in 21 through 28 about his authority and what he is bringing to the table. And we're only in the first chapter in yeah. Mark. Yeah. So if I were to summarize it, I, my mind would go there first of look at who Jesus is in his teaching. Look at who Jesus is in the miraculous with, with what we see here. And when we talk about authority specifically here, it's not like human authority is what we're recognizing because mm. he teaches not like the scribes who had authority, Good. but his authority is different. It's not just kind of your run of the mill human authority over other humans, but now he's exercised authority over the supernatural, the not just humans, not does he just teach out of his own teaching and you know, that's an authority of its own but he's now exercising authority over the supernatural as well. Hmm. And I can, I can only imagine, and even as I, I think about it now, there are times when I find, you know, submitting to human authority is, is one thing. And only when I, you know, there are, t yeah, there are t times when, I go, maybe that authority, I think it's ridiculous. Maybe I think it doesn't apply to me. Hmm. Uh, maybe, you know, I'll maintain the principle and what they've said is, is different than what they mean. Or, you know, I can rationalize a lot of ways that I don't have to submit to authority. But I think if, if I were to, to realize that someone in my, pre like if I was there and I saw here's a guy exercising authority that that extends beyond the human realm and is not limited to the human realm but it goes beyond that it would be an authority i can't hide from and mm. i can't rationalize my way out of either i'm going to submit to it in all ways or i'm not yeah and yeah. how does that hit you i mean I, it's it's hitting me right now as we're talking about it because there's even ways in which I navigate this Christian walk and I can rationalize if I've treated someone poorly, I'll say, well, they, you know, they provoked me or, yeah. you know, and there's times in, in the scriptures where he's confronted about uh, loving your neighbor and you're like, well, who's my neighbor? Like, like. <laughs> Are there ways around truly doing what he's asked me and mm. following him? And man, if he's of the authority over all realms, then there's no way I, I don't get a rationalize out of it and I don't get a hide from it. Yeah. I don't know how that hits you. Well, I'm trying to stay in Mark, right? Because my brain is just kind of fast forwarding through. I, I will release you from Mark. You can go other places. <laughs> well, thinking about Jesus's ministry, he's establishing something on the front end of making himself known with his works, 
And then he's going to call everyone who has either seen or heard about him to believe, to take a step of faith. And they're going to have an opportunity to say, do I trust what I see or what I hear? Do I trust this Jesus of Nazareth? Do I trust this Holy one of God, the son of God. And so where that hits me is I have everything that I need right here in God's word to take a step of faith every day in, in either like uh, relationships, yeah. interactions, bosses, or trials that even come about in my family um, and my role as husband or father. Am I going to trust this Jesus that I read about? So I, I don't know that I'm actually making sense other than Jesus is doing something clear here in his works. And people are going to have an opportunity to respond and say, do I believe in yeah. Christ? And so if you're, if you're tuning into this podcast and you're somebody who has walked with the Lord for a long time, or you're somebody who is new to following Jesus, or you're somebody who is still not sure, um, it's, it's our prayer. I think I can speak for you mm-hmm. that, that, Jesus's authority clearly demonstrated not only in this account, but also throughout the scriptures and, and yeah, throughout history, I pray that you would recognize his authority as a good one, uh, that we encounter authorities all the time that are corrupt and maybe on their best day, they're, they're trying to do good. But the authority that we encounter in this life is all going to have some element of brokenness Amen. and that his authority, not only does it, does it extend beyond the physical realm, but it throughout all known reality and even unknown reality, his authority extends so far and it's also good. Hmm. It's beautiful. It's true. And it's an authority that under which we flourish and that we find life. Amen. It's not oppressive. He tells us that his yoke is light and his burden is easy. And that if we submit to his authority, we will actually find a freedom to live and be as we were designed to be. Mm. And so I would encourage you, um, yeah, to take some time after listening to this podcast and ask the Lord if there's an area of your life you haven't fully submitted to him because that's probably an area that once submitted to him you'll actually see flourishing and it's when we hold on to seek you know certain kind of parts of our life and we're like I'll, I'll give him this part but I won't give him maybe some of this stuff because I want to hang on to this um, that we won't actually experience true thriving and we won't experience freedom uh, one of the things that Augustine said in his confessions is that he really wrestled with um, kind of lust and temptation, and he would pray the prayer, Lord, make me chaste, just not yet. And that he somehow found in that sin, in that temptation, something he thought that was going to satisfy, but what he ultimately realizes is that it won't be satisfied by anything else other than God. And so... Uh, 
he was the one that realized that full submission meant full joy. Mm. And so my desire is that you experience that full joy and that comes in full submission to the actual loving authority of Jesus Christ that's demonstrated here and we're introduced to in this passage. Mm. Uh, Kurt, thank you so much oh, for joining honor. us. Um, you're definitely gonna be coming back. Uh, if you enjoyed having Kurt on the podcast, please uh, make make it make it known in the comments. Uh, you can uh, tune in to this podcast. I don't know if you're watching it on YouTube uh, at the Take and Read Podcast YouTube channel. You can check us out on iTunes, Take and Read Podcast there, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, and you can email me if you have a question for either myself mm. or Kurt. Take and Read Podcast at gmail.com. And I would love to hear from you. I've gotten so many encouraging comments. Uh, I've gotten some really cool questions, and I'm getting to interact with people through email, which I, love I really enjoy. That is so uh, cool. From all over the world, actually. So it's it's been pretty exciting. So thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for the support. Uh, be sure to to like it, subscribe it, review it. Uh, that just and rate it. That helps people find us. So if there's somebody you think need would benefit from. Uh, taking and reading with us and uh, going through this journey of the Gospel of Mark, please share it with them. Uh, I'd, I'd love to, to help as many people as we can. And uh, we'll, uh, Kurt, we'll see you next time we see you. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, go take and read. <laughs>